Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. 1st of all then i urge that supplications prayers intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people for all kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of god our savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, good morning. good morning. How is everyone this morning? I hope uh, you've all been able to enjoy this uh, warmer weather that we're having. Um, it's only you can either enjoy it or be miserable because of it. So I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we went down to the lake yesterday and, and got in the water. And the, the day after going to the lake is like getting your test results from how good you are at applying sunscreen. And uh, I got about maybe a D minus this morning. Um, This shirt didn't look as so bright when I put it on because it was about the same color as my chest when I woke up this morning. Um, But still was able to to get out and and enjoy this beautiful weather that God's been giving us. And so excited this morning to to get into uh, 1 Timothy chapter two. Uh, so let's, let's just go to God and ask Him to meet with us and, and teach us here this morning. Lord, we, we thank You so much for this opportunity to, to come together, to assemble as Your body and to worship You, to learn more about You, Lord. I pray that You would teach us today, that, that You would use Your powerful Word to impact our lives, to... Uh, to correct us in, in ways that our thinking has been faulty, Lord, and to show more of your goodness and your glory to us that we would become more like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So before we, we jump into chapter two, I just want to kind of look at, at where we've been and connect that to where we're going to start going in chapter two. Uh, as Eric's been reminding us uh, the past few weeks, uh, this letter written by Paul to Timothy, who's a young pastor, is uh, in chapter 3, he tells us is uh, an outline on, on how to conduct ourselves in the house of God. And uh, Eric taught us through uh, teachers in the household of God and, and the reason that we worship in the household of God. And then at the end of chapter 1, Paul gives Timothy, this charge, which we're not going to go into today, but I just want to look at this one phrase that'll help us as we go into chapter two, where he tells him to wage the good warfare. 
And going into chapter 2, we start to see this sort of played out with this um, military or warfare sort of analogy. We start to see strategies. Uh, Paul tells Timothy to pray strategically, and we're going to look at that a little bit later on today. Um, he tells him to train for godliness, to be, to be trained. There's a focus going on here and, and a purpose. He tells him to prioritize resources in the church for widows and, and for the work of the ministry. Uh, and he even talks about appearance in the last part of, of this same chapter that we're in. He talks about the appearance that we should have, um, nothing flashy, not with a lot of gold and, and rings. Uh, you may have seen there was a, a news story recently about a, a pastor in, in Brooklyn who was, who was robbed at gunpoint during the service, and, and the thieves took a million dollars worth of jewelry off of him. Um, he could have been helped by reading First Timothy chapter two. <laughs> would have uh, would have saved him a lot of money there. Um, but we see this this focus on appearance. Why? Well, you think of someone in the military or a firefighter. Everything that they're wearing, it's it's not for fashion. There's a purpose behind it. And the same thing for us. There's there's strategy and and there's structure. Paul begins to outline authority structures in the church. And there's roles and responsibilities for women and for men, and there's a purpose behind all of it. There's expectation and criteria for leaders in the church, just as you would have in, in the military. There's a, a chain of command, and there's a seriousness about it. Paul said that some, some people had taken the instructions that they had been given, and they diverted off to doing their own thing, and it ended in shipwreck. There's a seriousness as well because of the mission that we've been entrusted with. And this might seem a little intense for 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Um, maybe you haven't had enough coffee in the system yet for this kind of intensity. But it's, it's necessary because of the seriousness of this mission that we've been given as a church. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that this morning. Before we start getting into the, the how of how God wants us to live out this mission as a church, we're going to look at what that is and, and why it's so important. And this mission comes directly from the heart of God. Have you ever uh, started up a conversation with someone and, and pretty quickly in, the conversation diverts to whatever it is that they're most passionate about? And then later on in the conversation, you kind of find your way back around to whatever it is that that person is just so passionate about. There's a, a guy I used to work with, and I could make small talk in the morning and say, oh, it looks like it's going to rain later. And if it was during the baseball season, he would say, oh, I hope it doesn't rain in Boston today. Sox have a big game. And then we could be talking about something else. Hey, what are you going to do this summer? Oh, in a couple weeks, we're going to Fenway. And it, no matter where the conversation went, it all seemed, always seemed to come back to what he was most passionate about at that time. Um, uh, Carrie's uh, parents are, are here today, and they just had some grandkids in town, and that was making me think about uh, grandparents that are passionate and just have this great love for their grandkids. Uh, you remember before smartphones when uh, grandpas had a wallet with plastic sleeves inside, and it had like the Olin Mills portraits of the grandkids, you know, and they're like <laughs> posing in the most unnatural way that they've never done in their whole life. Um, 
and it, you could be talking to a grandpa, and it, it wouldn't take very long before you can almost see they're itching. They're itching to get that wallet out and start showing you the grandkids. Well, with God, God's passion and desire of his heart is, comes up over and over again in Scripture, and we see it here in verse 4. It says, "...who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth." This is where our mission comes from, right from the heart of God. And Paul connects that directly to his ministry uh, in verse 7. He says, For this I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul directly connected his ministry to this mission from God's heart. What was it that caused Paul to keep pushing through adversity after it just came over and over again in his ministry? It's because God desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. At New King, we have the motto, right, that we exist to help as many people as possible find and follow Jesus. And why do we have that motto? Well, it's because God desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Nathan and Amanda just moved up here to Vermont, and it wasn't because there's a great housing market up here. <laughs> what was the reason? Because God desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why did God send his perfect, sinless son to this world to be brutally sacrificed on the cross? Because God desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Amen. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? What is the, the truth that we're talking about here? You know, in our culture today, as Eric kind of touched on last week, as long as you're within the parameters of what's acceptable to our society, you can just find your own truth. You're encouraged to find your own truth and then live according to that truth. And as long as you're sincere, it's all, it's all okay. And that's actually the highest level of self-actualization is to find your own truth and then live according to that. But in this passage, in verse number five, we get a, a more definitive look at what the truth is. In verse number five, it says, there is one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There's one God. Most people I feel that we interact with today, they, um, they would probably concede that there's a God or, or maybe there's a God, uh, but that we can't really know him and that there's no definitive authority on how you can know God or what perspective it is that you can look at God from. I was listening recently to uh, an interview. Uh, this guy was interviewing uh, David Attenborough, who is a, um, has been a longtime uh, producer and, and narrator of, of nature programs. And this interviewer was asking him about his belief. He would talk about all of God's creation, but not talk about it as God's creation. And he said, he asked him if, if he would des describe himself as an atheist, and his answer, I feel like, was, was very indicative of where a lot of people are in our culture today. And he said he couldn't say that there wasn't a God because he's had this experience of, of going to a termite hill and, and taking the top off of it and looking down and, and observing all of the, the termites as they go about doing what they're designed to do. 
and they have no perception that he's there standing over them. And he said, maybe there is a God, and, and I just don't have any eyes to be able to see him. And I thought that was profound in a way, because there, there's a little bit of truth there, because in and of ourselves, we are spiritually blind to a God that's there. But in God's desire, he does not want us to remain that way. He has given us his word, which over and over expresses his love to us. And the greatest expression of that love is that Jesus came and died for our sins. And we see that as this verse continues. And he says, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. We have a way to access and to know God, and it's through his son Jesus. And this is important because Jesus, as the mediator, is necessary. In Romans 3.23, one of the verses that we were just working on memorizing, and now if I can't say it from memory, it's going to look pretty bad, but uh, <laughs> well, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In and of ourselves, there is nothing that we can do. We can't work hard enough be baptized, give enough to a church in order to establish that connection with God on our own. Jesus as the mediator is completely necessary. And the part that really trips up a lot of people is, is this next fact that Jesus the mediator is exclusive. It is completely exclusive. You know, I, I remember hearing a guy say that, that religion is, is kind of like friends meeting at a coffee shop one person might take a road in a car this way, and another person may take another road on their bike, and another person may walk down the alley. But uh, they came there different ways, but they all end up at the same place. And we should just kind of respect all the different ways of, of people, uh, beliefs that people have. And it's, it's actually a pretty good analogy. But the problem is that when you die, you don't go to a coffee shop you stand before an all-holy God who's given us his word. And in that word, in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty exclusive. And in, in our day and age, that sounds kind of narrow-minded as well. But when you think of it in another way, Jesus as the mediator is perfect. It is completely perfect. There is no better rescue plan for humanity. You know, we hear uh, every day when we turn on the news, the number one problem facing humanity today is what? Climate change. We hear it every single day over and over. And that's an important issue. But the most important issue facing mankind is the same issue that's been facing mankind ever since the very fall of man, and that is sin. And there is only one way to get to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ, but it is a perfect way. In John 3.16, we probably many of us know, but, but don't miss the, the truth here to this verse, that God so loved the world that He gave His Son. He wasn't required to do that. He gave His Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. There is no better option. There's no better rescue plan and because of that, yes, Jesus as the mediator is exclusive, but it is perfect. And there is no better way that could be possibly conceived to come to God. 
And all that we have to do is acknowledge our sinfulness and come to God in faith that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And we can have fellowship once again with God. And if you are here today and you've never done that, that is God's desire of his heart for you. And for those of us who, who have done that, that is the mission that God has been given us so that all people could be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So that's the mission. That's why it's so important. And I want to look at, at two ways uh, quickly in this chapter that Paul instructs Timothy that we are to live out this mission uh, as individuals and in the church. And the first one takes us all the way back to, to verse 1, and that is uh, disciplined prayer. And this is, this is not going to be an exhaustive look at, at prayer, uh, but rather Tim, uh, Paul is instructing Timothy to focus on certain aspects of prayer uh, that it can be easy for us to, uh, to forget about. I know for myself, um, it can be really hard to faithfully and consistently incorporate all of these different aspects into prayer, uh, into my prayer life on a regular basis. And it can be easy to fall into a trap of, of getting into sort of the same repetitive prayers and not being disciplined about praying according to the mission that God's given us to, to live out. So let's look first at... Uh, at the different types of prayer. Paul gives four different ones here in verse 1. It says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Supplications is earnestly asking God for something or asking God to do something. Uh, and prayers is, is a more general term, um, but this word uh, for prayers in the Greek uh, that sounds kind of sophisticated. I've never really said that before. I feel like I should tuck my shirt in first or something. Um, other Greek words that I know are gyro and tzaki. I don't, maybe I'm not even saying that right. But um, the Greek word here for prayers is uh, prosike, which also has the meaning of, of corporate prayers or, or public prayers. Um, much like we would maybe do on an encounter night. And then there's intercessions, which is asking God to intervene on behalf of someone else. And thanksgiving, which is just obviously vocally expressing thanks to God. And Paul is reminding Timothy to incorporate all of this into his prayer life in order to pray according to the mission that God has for him. And we see that these prayers are inclusive, uh, starting in, in verse 1, he says that these prayers should be made for all people. Uh, and then we look, uh, and in the second verse, he says, for kings and all who are in high positions. Uh, and then he says uh, in, in verse 4, who desires all people to be saved. And then he goes through again at the end, Paul makes sure to say that he is a, appointed as a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher to the Gentiles. And he wasn't saying that to exclude the Jews. The Jews, up to that point in time, had been the, the in crowd in the church. But he's saying that to make sure to include the Gentiles, which was part of his calling. And some of the Jews that were in the church were a little uncomfortable with 
the amount of Gentiles who were being saved and added to the church. And then we see sort of that same emphasis in this first verse, when we, first and second verses, when we see who it is specifically that Paul tells Timothy to pray for. He says, for all people, and he could have gone a lot of different directions after that. But then he says, for kings and for all who are in high positions. And even in, in this day and age, we probably all have some politician or authority figure that, uh, that we're not really thrilled with. But you think about the context of this time period that Paul is writing in, this same government that he's saying to pray for is the government that's going to execute him a little bit later on. This is the same Roman government that would throw Christians to lions for entertainment. And Paul is making sure to say, hey, you, you need to be praying for them. And I think for, for us as well, our culture can, can pull us in this direction that it's going where we, we get so divided over anything that comes up, any sort of issue or event just divides us even further to the point that neighbors or coworkers or who maybe have a bumper stickers on their car that make us cringe every time we walk past or ones that we know stand for things that we don't agree with, that can begin to translate into a lack of prayer for those people. And Paul is making sure that Timothy knows that he should pray even for people that it's difficult for him to love. How are we going to reach people that we're not willing to pray for? If it all begins with prayer and God working in their hearts, we're going to have to remember to pray for even for people that we don't agree with. Amen. So these prayers are to be inclusive, but not to the point where we can go on the other side and try to pray for everyone and just be undisciplined in our prayer and, and begin to bounce around and, and pray a lot for a lot of different things, but not faithfully and consistently pray for anything. And what's the problem with that? Well, we can start to grow our prayer list to a point that it's just unmanageable, and then we can even begin to despair for praying for anything because we're not praying in faith specifically for things and seeing God answer those prayers and, and spending enough time thinking and praying for those people that we see what God is doing and are able to pray in accordance with that. So we need to be disciplined in our prayer. You remember the, uh, the campaign that we had, for lack of a better word, of to pray for your one that we did a, a while back. And I was just remembering that the other day because I had kind of fallen into this trap where I was doing just that, bouncing around and, and praying for all of these different people and sort of getting discouraged. And remember that, hey, I need to prioritize praying for certain people. And this is something that we are led by the Spirit to do. We can't realistically, earnestly pray for every single person that we meet and every need that's out there. So we need to be led by the Spirit to look at what God wants us to be partnering with Him in prayer for. And lastly, on, on prayer, these prayers are meant to impact our world. I, uh, I've been working for the state of Vermont in Montpelier for the past seven years and commuting from Chittenden County back and forth to Montpelier, so listen to a lot of audiobooks and podcasts and 
all of those things. And then when I run out of those, I, I turn on VPR, uh, which can always be an interesting experience. Uh, but I always perk up whenever they're interviewing someone who's you know, a pastor or is talking about the, the church in America. And uh, a while back, I was listening and they were interviewing this pastor and they began to get onto the topic of prayer. And this pastor said that, that their church no longer prayed for God to supernaturally interact and intervene in people's lives. They would pray for strength and wisdom and then talk to God, but they had given up on praying for God to supernaturally work and do miracles. And that really it stuck with me for a while, and it, and it really bothered me. And after a while, I began to see why it really bothered me was because I don't believe that in theory, but in practice, if I really believe that, am I asking God to do those things? Or have I just kind of devolved into praying vague prayers that really are, are more of wishes than faith-filled petitions to God? God, you know, I, I wish you would do this, and it'd be really nice if you did this, but um, I'm not really going to pray consistently and seek it. I'm just going to move on to the next thing because I uh, don't think, really think you're going to do it. And that, that really bothered me and, and encouraged me to come back and to think, am I prioritizing what I'm praying for and praying intently, expecting God to do something? These two types of prayer that he gives here, the supplications and intercessions, these are prayers asking God to work on someone's behalf. It's asking God to do something, to move in a powerful way. And we are to pray and include those in our prayers if we are going to reach our world, God is going to have to supernaturally overwhelm it with the power of the gospel. And we have to be praying to that end if we are going to accomplish this mission that God has given us. So we have disciplined prayer, and then lastly, we have living a devoted life. We see this in verse 2, and, and really, I think of of any of this passage as I was studying this, this is really the part that uh, I think I spent the most time really thinking and, and, and praying about. It says in verse 2, we should pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And he says this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He makes a point of saying this way of living is directly in line with God's will and the mission that he's given us. And I th there's a few ways that, that we can get off base with this. I, we can go out of our way to, to look for confrontation and, and persecution uh, when it's not there. Um, I don't know. I remember reading Radical many years ago and uh, just being ready to sell everything and, and go to a really hard place and, and see God do something amazing. And God does do that, and He does call people to do that. But sometimes He calls us to live a quiet and peaceful life. And we can go wrong there as well, and we can focus on the quiet and peaceful part of it to the point that we're not having hard conversations with people and that we're not sharing the truth that can lead 
to friction and, and, and separate relationships in our life. So we have to be balanced with this. But we look at the context here and who Paul is talking to with Timothy. We know that, that Paul was with Timothy and they would go and, to a new town and they would preach and God would do amazing things and they would start a church and they would build it up and then after a while, they would move on to the next place. They would leave a pastor there and, and move on to the next town and do it all again. And that was the ministry that, that, Paul had given, that God had given to Paul to do. And then they come to a church and Paul leaves Timothy there at that church to stay in one place for a while and to go through the difficult work of confronting false teachers. And Paul uh, exhorts Timothy in this book to not shy away from confronting false teachers. In the first chapter, he encourages it to him to stay where he's at and to continue to do the work week in and week out. And maybe Timothy, as a young man, did what a lot of us do and starts looking over the fence at what's going on somewhere else. It seems like the excitement's going on somewhere else. There's God, it seems to be doing more somewhere else, and maybe he wanted to be a part of that. He'd come discouraged with this weekly work of continually confronting uh, false teaching and, and maybe not seeing any short-term results from that. In our community group, we've, uh, we've talked through a few of the, the letters written by Paul and, and different sermons from those letters as well. And I'd see that we had a kind of a propensity to look at the struggles that Paul was going through and to say, well, you know, I've, I've never been through anything like that. I've never been through anything as hard as what Paul was going through. And what Paul was going through was very hard, to make no mistake. But here we have Paul, who is going through some very difficult times, is writing to Timothy to encourage him to live out this ministry in a quiet and peaceful life. And often we can start to lose focus of the work that God's put right in front of us because we start looking at, at other things, the job somewhere else, living somewhere else. And this really can take place in March in Vermont, right? And people are saying, hey, I'm out of here. I, I'm just thinking about somewhere else warm that I can go or, or some other job where I don't have to deal with the sort of things that I have to deal with every day or, or some other ministry that that maybe I feel will, will be more in line with, with what I want to do. Matthew 5 and verse 16 says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Sometimes I think our, our lights can begin to dim when we lose focus of what God has put right in front of us. We can be where God wants us to be, doing what he wants us to do, but have our focus on what's going on somewhere else and not be passionately committed to the work that he's given us to do. God may lead you to move across the country or to move across the world or, or to be a part of, of something that other people will look at and read about and say, wow, look at what's going on over there. But God may also call you to be right where you're at living day in, day out, week in, week out, living a quiet and peaceful life that's fully devoted to God. Look at those other words that he says in this description. 
a quiet and peaceful life, godly and dignified in every way. I love the, the reminder that Eric gave us that godly doesn't mean goodly. Godly means being fully devoted to God in everything that we do. So I'll, I'll wrap up by saying that uh, if you're here today and you've never experienced Christ's forgiveness, you've never been saved and, and come to the knowledge of the truth, but, but you're seeking and, and you want to know more, we would love to come alongside you in that journey and help you to learn more about Jesus and this great uh, forgiveness of sin that he offers. But for those of us who, who have been saved, just want us to, to think about this mission that God's given us and the ways that he's specifically given us to live it out. Even as we go into this next week and all of the challenges and the struggles that we're going to face, we can remain committed to the work that God has put right here, right now in front of us to be devoted in our life in all things to God and to be disciplined in our prayer so that we can accomplish the mission that God has given us to do. Uh, let me pray for us that, that God will just help us and, and empower us to do this work. Lord, we, we come before you again. We're just so thankful that you would even use us. We know that, that we are so unworthy and yet you have you love us, you have saved us, and you want to use us to do the work that you have for us to do. Lord, I pray that we would see the work that you've given us with new eyes, eyes of, of faith and, and understanding, that we would serve you passionately, and that the light of the gospel would shine brightly in our lives to those around us. I pray that, that you would help us as we live a devoted life, that we would have discipline in our prayer that we would pray according to your will and according to the work that you have for us to do, Lord. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.